Today's episode is brought to you by CVTSport.net, Central Vermont's local sports video leader. This week on No Fouls, we're joined by the longtime Williamstown girls varsity coach. I think we just calculated about 17 years I think at that the helm. sounds about right. Sid Sweet, welcome to the show. Thank you. And uh, before we start, I'd like to say thank you for doing this podcast. Uh, I haven't missed one yet. I love the history. I love learning about other people's journeys. Um, actually, the little X's and O's people put in there. Steal a little bit of that, so it's been uh, it's been a blessing already. Oh, I appreciate it. It's been so much fun and getting to know different people. Some I met, I haven't met. Uh, it's been fun. When did uh, when did basketball start kind of becoming your thing? Uh, well, being forty eight years old, almost forty nine. It was baseball and little league basketball. Back then, it started in third grade. Uh, we did third, fourth, and then uh, on up. In the little elementary school, they did, like nowadays the kids like get a, they get to play in the big school, practice little school. We practice and capture at the elementary school, but third, fourth grade in basketball, um, probably. I mean, there's nothing else to do in the winter in Vermont. Yeah, and it it, it honestly wasn't my first love. My first love would have been soccer, and then as time more on I just I fell more and more in love with the game when I actually fell in love with the game would probably be about the Magic Johnson um, Larry Bird era watching them on Sundays on regular on channel 3 or 5 and I love Magic Johnson I just I fell in love with, that's when I fell in love with the game yeah I can I can relate to the early days growing up in the Woodbury Cafe Gymatorium so we've we've had those days and if you're hearing noise, we're recording at the Barry Auditorium today. This is right after the Division Four Boys Championship, before Division Three, which is always a crazy game Round for the two. week. Uh, when did coaching, or actually, let's take a step back. Who was the first coach that had an impact on you? Uh, actually, it would probably been the first coach that really did impact uh, Chip Winters, um, his Son would have been in my class, Tobin winner. He was our three, four, five, six boys basketball coach. And uh, I just remember everything he did was on a notepad. Uh, we didn't have the whiteboards or anything. It was all a notepad. Back then, I think they might even use a chalk, little chalk, mini chalkboards. But he was always drawn up on a notepad. But very even-keeled and uh, probably more of a teacher than a coach at that time. Made it, everybody wanted to be there. didn't matter. Um... I don't know that winning was even uh, on our, I mean, obviously when you play and keep score, you want to win, but for him it was just, uh, he did a great job of making us want to play the game. And after him, I would say Dennis Barney was by far probably the most impactful coach I've ever played for. I had him in All-Stars for Little League, uh, one year Babe Ruth, um, and then JV, and I also uh, went on varsity. Uh, JV, I was probably the 15th man on a 14-man roster. I'm a five foot six, 95-pound soaking wet kid, and a lot of games I might not even get in. It's just in those days, it seemed like it was a seven-man rotation, no matter who, what team you're on. Mm-hmm. 
And um, so after my freshman year, I wasn't sure I was going to play. I was just like, I'm just not good enough. And then uh, I didn't go to the first tryout. This my sophomore year, and he called my parents and asked where I was. Get my rear end there, and uh, actually in my junior year, he went to become the varsity coach after Tom Batigi, and I stayed on. I was the only junior on JV, and I got to play 32 minutes a game. Yeah. So that Mark McCarthy was my coach, and I he was a 180 from Mr. Bernie. He was uh, more of a player's coach. And I think he gave me the opportunity to um, grow. And I personally grew probably five or six inches. Now I'm six foot, 125 pounds soaking wet. And I'll never forget after tryouts, senior year, we go in the office one at a time, and Mr. Bernie says, you're, uh, you're going to be my number five guy. <laughs> so you want me to be your center? Cause that, he goes, mm-hmm. no, you moron. He says, you're going to be my point guard, and you're going to play defense, and you're going to stop whoever. Can you handle that? I said, absolutely. No. And I probably played as many minutes as anyone my senior year, but I don't know if I scored 22 points all year, but uh, played with some great people. Rick Molina, um, probably the best athlete I've ever physically seen or played with. And all these years later, I mean, there's a lot of great, Williamstown has a lot of phenomenal people, and the boys have done a lot, a lot of banners, a lot of championships. But I would still say if I was to pick a person, Rick Molina did my first. He was just phenomenal and we did get to play at on this court my senior year and I'll never forget walking under these stairs right below us and looking out and seeing the sea of people and almost wanting to throw up it was just it was amazing we got our butt kicked that day but it didn't matter that feeling never go I'll never forget it yeah I still get it today and I come here every year Uh, you still get the goosebumps when you walk in the building every time even just now coming in it just it's this place is magical and we've talked about it with a few guests, and you're always going to have a few people who say, hey, let's go to a nicer place. Let's go to St. Mike's, and nice locker rooms, but you just don't have the history and the atmosphere that's built over decades. Uh, if anybody loves basketball, seen the movie Hoosiers, this is our Hoosiers, and you would ruin it if you went somewhere else. Uh, I actually feel the D1 should have a midseason tournament here so they can get the experience that they're missing out on. Yeah, I think that they. I think they played here a couple of years ago during the did. pandemic. Yep. They had their championships here. Yep, and they weren't sure. Uh, this was obviously months ago. It's since resolved. They weren't sure. They thought maybe some of them might have to play here this year with, with the girls and men's team both doing extremely well for UVM. But even then, like I've talked to Division One, Co- they love it when they get the opportunity to come here. The the ball bouncer. Uh, Everything echoes in here. It just the aura and the crowd. I mean, it's. I was here for the Montpelier Spalding game the other night in Mid Vermont, Long Trail, and I'm, it's just that energy. Mm-hmm. You don't get that anywhere else. No, and it's about as central, I think, as you can get. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure Fairhaven and North Country would say, <laughs> wouldn't mind. You know, how about Burlington? Right. How about something slightly closer, but nevertheless. So when did the idea of coaching start coming up? So I pretty much never left Williamstown. When I got uh, out of high school, did a little college, then uh, found my way into the grain industry. And our hours are pretty reasonable. We're out at 3.30 every day. A soccer job opened up at Williamstown. JV boys, 
I took that, went, applied, and I got it, and had a, had a great time. And Jenny Earls, the 80th time, said I should apply for freshmen. Back then, Williamson had freshman teams. Yep. And uh, I said, okay. And something happened right before the season where the JV boys coach couldn't coach. I'm not sure what happened. So she said, uh, would you take that job? I'll never forget. It was a day before. She called me that night. They had a game the next day. We're at Thetford. I didn't even know the kids' names. And then we got our butts handed to us. I actually looked over the coach once. I mean, it was like 80 to 20. I don't know. He's still pressing. Do you want 100? Just tell me. And he looks at me. I, I think he got lost and didn't really, wasn't paying yeah. attention. I'm still trying. What's that kid's name? What's that kid's But after that game, I, and that team, and uh, we had fun. I mean, I think we probably won six or eight games, but it was during that group, uh, this is what I want to do. And I wish... Hindsight 2020, I wish probably I'd have been a teacher or something because I really love working with kids. I have an absolute blast. And my coaching philosophy has changed. Back then it was uh, a lot more high energy, go, 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 all about the game and not about the relationships. I mean, we snowmobiled together. We did a lot of cool things together, but I was still, I mean, it was winning and losing. That was Mm -hmm. what it was. And then as I've gotten... More seasoned, I guess. Still, we still try to win every game we can, but it's literally if we build the relationships, the winning gets easier. But I think uh, that first group of boys, it was just we had a blast. I mean, I had a, I'm a kid. I'm 22, three years old, four years old doing this with them, and not much older than them. So just absolute blast. We talked about it before we hit record a little bit that oftentimes. As a male coach, the first time you go to switch over to coach girls, there's preconceived notions. You think it's not going to be as fun or it's not going to be as competitive. And I was fortunate enough, our first year coaching JV at Hazen with Travis Hill, we had just an awesome group. And we almost apologized at the end of the year for the preconceived notions that we had going in. And they completely changed our mind. How was it for you making the transition from the boys' side to the girls' side? It, it was, I would say, a little similar because you're expecting uh, less athleticism, I guess, with girls. But what I learned in a hurry was girls are students. They want to learn. They, they really, they're, competi- they're as competitive. But uh, I found uh, my, my biggest fear being, again, I'm only seven, eight years older than these kids at the time. How to figure out the locker room. How do we do this? Okay, you know, you guys not, you come out and get me when you're all completely dry. We're all, because I didn't have, at a JV, I didn't have an assistant coach. I ended up having uh, a scorekeeper that was a female, so I'd always have someone in. I was more worried about that, because there's a lot of things going on around the world, not in Williamstown, Vermont, or even in Vermont in general, with a lot of coaches that were not doing things properly with girls. And I, so I was very fearful and mindful of that. Um, so I was always aware, but the basketball part, oh, I mean, Wendy McCauley, Averill Earls, Aubrey LeBlanc, they, they made it real easy. I mean, they they were competitive. They were as competitive, if not more, than the boys. And, and what I found with the girls is they play together more. The boys, they kind of want to one-up each other. So you're trying to figure out how to make this work with the team on the boys' side and, and allow them their freedom, where the mm-hmm. girls' side, it's they're all about... Playing structure. together in whatever, exactly, whatever can help us be successful. And uh, 
I mean, Aubrey LeBlanc is probably one of the reasons why I'm coaching today. So I, in, on the girls' side, the first year, first time in JV, we're 16 and three. The next year, we're 17 and two. I mean, we're having, and back then they had a CVL uh, JV tournament. We're going to that. We had a lot of success. Um, Jenny Earls gets done as the AD. Another AD comes in, brings in his own coach for the varsity boys, his own coach for the varsity soccer, his own coach for the varsity girl, changing everything over. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know if this is where I want to be, if, mm-hmm. if this is how we're going to do things. And uh, she had a meeting with me and the varsity coach, and she pretty much said if I didn't stay, she wasn't playing, she'd get out. And I said, that's not how this is for... So she talked me into staying with her because of her love of the game and her belief in me. I'm like, if you believe in that much, me in that much, I need to repay the favor. And I stuck mm-hmm. around. I was offered the varsity position a year later, but I found out Mike Maxwell was available and interested in coaching. <laughs> so I'm not Mike Maxwell. We need this guy here. And that mm-hmm. year with him, I learned so much. I mean, he's, I was listening to Aaron's podcast and, and I'm chuckling because I'm like, this sounds like mirror image of how I got through just having him around. And and we uh, we lost the playoff game in Winooski. And to this day, the, in my mind, maybe it wasn't at the end of replay, but the ball was bouncing on the rim when the buzzer goes off and it went in and they said it was no good. And I'm like, it was bouncing on the rim. It obviously was out of her hand, but, mm-hmm. but we didn't get with uh, Mike's team. And then things happened over the offseason where he didn't come back. And that's when I stepped up. But... Uh, for me, I, when I was in high school, I don't know if our girls' basketball program won six games in four years. I mean, there's a lot of 0-20s prior to Mike coming. I don't know the last time they had a winning season, and we were 10-10 and when we went to the playoffs, I believe. So for me, it was I wanted the girls to start believing they could win, not just playing the game. And so I think I was over the top early about – you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and we are going to be good, and everyone's going to look at us with the same respect as the boys and uh, almost probably too much as I look back. But I just didn't – I wanted them to understand losing was not going to be an option. But we were going to be a program that other te- schools mm-hmm. respected and maybe even feared a little bit with the way we played. And I started out 2-18, and 3-17. and 17. How but, was that – transition did your coaching style change because i always look at it as a jv coach it's my job to prepare you for the varsity coach i'm going to run most of what they're running so if they need to grab someone it's boom you're ready to go you have a foot forward but the varsity coach all of a sudden your job is to win it was on the jv level i believe it's about player development um, I'm not a big systems coach because if there's JV players that physically or, or skillfully are not able to do what a lot of the varsity does, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna bring it back down to where we can build them some success, give them their confidence, and then hopefully they can get to that level where they can step right in. Um, at the varsity level, it, it was, but the minute I started becoming the varsity coach. I went down and started working with the K-1 and building a foundation on the younger, building that relationship. And uh, I think that was, when I say I, the varsity girls were along with me. We all went down Saturday mornings, worked with them. I mean, I say basketball, we'd 
We played duck, duck, do. I mean, 45 minutes. Try to mm -hmm. keep five and six-year-olds' attention, but want them to have fun enough to come back, but also get them to come to the games. As a third grader myself, I remember coming to the games, fourth grader, fifth. My parents took us to all the games. Seventh grader watching Tom Batigi out on this court, and so they're our role models. They're our local heroes. And I wanted that. I, I knew if I did that, then the, the younger girls would look up to the older girls. And then next thing you know, we have, and I think that really, uh, that's really where things um, turned for us. Um, it, and it was. I mean, 2 and 18, I'm scratching my head going, I'm trying to do everything I can think of to get us. But we just didn't have the skill level at that time. We just, we were not prepared. And so I started the first AEU program out of uh, Williamstown called the Vermont Blizzard. It was actually when I was JV coach, I took the, that year's varsity after the season, and mm -hmm. I think they had, I'm not sure if they went 0-20 or 2-18 and the, the year before I might got there, but um, I took them and we went to just two tournaments and we started winning a couple games. You know, we're not going to the States, we're just starting to figure things out, and, and I think that started to carry over, and then Jack... John Carrier came along and began Orange County Crush, and that's really when things yeah. really turned the corner. Uh, I had a player, probably, I tell everyone she's probably one of my favorite players of all time, and Stephanie St. Ange, who willed us to our first trip here in 2008. She was a senior who tore her ACL in the scrimmage right before the season and, and tore everything. And us. We're thinking, that, you know, we're, we were thinking yeah. we're going to the odd. Then this happens. We're thinking, well, this season's over. But the doctor said she couldn't hurt anything any worse. It was up to her. She wanted prolonged surgery. And she played all year on a, pretty much one leg and a, a brace holding the other leg together. And she, she brought her toughness and her mentality. And we had a lot of, I mean, Stephanie Gagnon, I believe, was 95 for 108 or 109 from the free throw line. Anytime they got close late, she'd close it out. So you know, and then we had a young group, you know, supporting Kristen Brown, which everyone will know from Norwich and yep. Ann Williamstown. Uh, she was our point guard and, and a natural leader as a freshman, which was crazy. Uh, but no, we uh, we had a Stephanie. She changed the culture because she accepted mm -hmm. less mistakes than I did. She held her. She was the first real teammate to hold her her personal teammates and team accountable more so than the coach having to do that. And that's when I'm starting to realize if I can get more players to do this, my job just got to guide them. But if they start holding each other accountable instead of myself, like a player first and player-led team, that's when we really... Yeah. And that's me growing up. That's me five, six, seven years of coaching, starting to figure out it's not all X's and O's. It's about the people. Yeah. And, I mean, building that culture, it showed. And you were able to... Uh I'm going to blank on her name. Little point guard who was a Spalding kid. Danny Jesmith. That's it. Uh, and the rumor always was Spalding told her she was never going to be a starter, was never going to be good enough, comes to Williamstown and is absolutely electric for four years. Times Argus Player of the Year. I mean, yeah, she... I'm not sure. The, I know there was things sure. in the school system that I think got her to move... I do think that there was some story, and it, you'd have to ask her, if she, that one of the coaches said she was too small to play basketball. Um, I'm thinking that. I don't know. Muggsy Bogues proved that a lot of people that that's not true. Either. He had a long NBA career, but 
No, I think she was electric, and uh, her mother was my JV coach. Mm-hmm. Her mother who was quite a player herself. Absolutely. I D1, I want to say UNC Wilmington, but don't quote me. I could be wrong, but she went to D1 college. Yes. Um, oh, Danielle brought it. But at that same time, Jack's daughter, Carissa, could shoot from, as you know, pretty much from the parking lot. And then we had Kimmy Gilbert, who was just uh, that whole group. And that, matter of fact, the year we came here the first time when Danny was a sophomore, Kate Lorton was just a natural boy. That was that, talking about Steph St. On, she was the next natural born leader that she wasn't the scorer, but she'd play defense, do this, and she probably averaged four points a game. And I think she probably had her first six here. We're laughing like but she had that. Na- and of course, when your dad's Mike Gordon, she might not have been the quickest one, but she was one of the smartest players. Yeah. So, I mean, she. Uh, and then Danielle just brought this natural, and she had that chip on her shoulder to prove everybody wrong, and boy, did she. While you're having, starting to have this run, and you have these guys, and Jack's doing what he's doing on the boys' side, is there, for lack of a better word, pressure that comes with the boys winning championships? And from the outside, the layman's always going to say, well, if they're doing that, why isn't the girls' team winning? You know, they would say it about right. the UVM women. Oh, absolutely. Why aren't they? If, if the yep. men's key, not realize, well, right. I mean, it's completely different. There's different numbers. There's the whole you know, yeah. different skills. There's different everything. I would say, I mean, I have self-imposed pressure every year that I, but I, and I would, my sell to the girls all the time would be, why not us? Why, just, why is it just them? But when we came, I would say no for the kids. Because the first year we made it here, the bo- in 2000, the boys walked from Williamstown High School, walked Route 14 all the way here to Brave the Gold to support us. And I, I just I couldn't believe that. So I would say, no, they, those kids, and that would have been the Kristen Brown era and the Nick Gagnon era with uh, Ray Burgos yep. you know, hitting the shot of a lifetime here. But um, that, those groups, they, they, uh, they really support each other. The, when Jack started his, well, that was the first was, but when, I'd say the 2014 and 17 run that we mm-hmm. made, um, there was mutual support. I think uh, the, I mean, people still talk. We didn't win, but people still talk about the game we had with Deptford here, 90 to 84. I yep. mean, the highest girls basketball game ever at the odd. I mean, it was. Uh, but I'm constantly trying to figure out ways to make the game more fun for the fan and more fun for the players and when I did some research and found this style of play and I got to really know a lot about Eric Ward that year because there wasn't a game we had if he didn't have a game that I don't care if I'm in Sharon I'm in Fairfax he's sitting right across from me so yeah. he did his he did his homework my mistake that year would be that I really believed that we needed to be great at something and not good at a bunch of things I should have been great at something which we were and I should have had us good at something else but it literally came down to we had one shot at the top of the key that went in and out, mm-hmm. and then we had to foul, and they stretched. But I'll take that every, and every day of the week that we had that. We're one, I mean, I think we lost by six, but it was a two-point game. Right, and some free we, throws at the end. Yeah, we missed. I, was, I think I was board hopping at DEV that night. Okay. And it was, I think there was, there was something on beforehand. So it was, I think maybe Norwich Hockey was on. Yep. So we're tape delaying that. And I'm trying to pay attention to Norwich Hockey. And this crazy game's going on in the next room. And I'm trying to get it all. And then we played it at whatever, 9 o'clock. 
and that was unreal. When you have a game like that, does it take you a while to appreciate how great a game it is to kind of get over the it, thinking it, about the whatever, 27 different yeah. possessions that if it had flipped one way might have changed it? I will say it did. I mean, I, I really thought that it was, I mean, we had beat Thetford the year before in the semis. Never even had seen him for a few years. When, the year before we had lost Winooski in the finals because the coach, myself, messed up and uh, put us in a bad situation. But um, that one hurt way worse than the Thetford game. The Thetford game, I left and, you know, I, I, I told them that you put up 84 points, we gave up 90. We, that's But uh, credit to them. I mean, the Jocelyn girl hit the one in the corner. It was probably a week or two later before I actually got to really enjoy what we had accomplished because mm-hmm. I was still, as you said, I'm, I'm going home, replaying the game in my head like this, did this, did this, did this, but realistically uh, I would say it was easier to get over and easier to appreciate that one than it was the one the year before. And I had a co-worker come in the day after the, well, we played on Saturday, so he came in on Monday and he'd never been to one of our games. He showed up at halftime. And it was 51-45. And he said, so is the game over already? He said, no, it's halftime. He said, halftime. And his daughter was a senior at Spalding, and he goes, halftime? So that's the final in all my daughter's games. And I, I was chuckling. I was like, oh, that's the game we played all year. Yeah. Jocelyn, she was good. Oh, she, honestly, I, I mean, for them to run a pace that we run and have been run all year and we practice all year, and I run 10 to 11, deep, 5 in, 5 out, 5 in, 5 out, hockey shifts. We had, and our goal was we shoot threes and layups, nothing in between, and we do not foul because we don't want the clock. We want them tired. We don't want them to get a chance to rest. And he went deeper in his bench than he had all year. But, and I kept saying every year, every game had happened all year. Third quarter, that's sitting around at halftime, they, they don't recover. Mm-hmm. And, I kept, and they obviously, I mean, she did everything she needed to do. And they had, she had a lot of supporting cast, but she hit two shots that, you know, when you lose to those two shots, I'm like it's not much great defense, interface, falling down, dropping a three. Like when you start making that, it might be your day, not hours. Yeah, and Coach Ward was, he was unbelievable. Like you said, he, he was a student. Oh. He was always everywhere. And, and we did summer league a couple times when I was at Hazen and Thetford, and he's there watching every scrimmage, everything. Oh, he's that's I mean he's in the gym. But I also that at that time. He had Jade working with him, and I think when you put those two minds together, it's a pretty tough combination to beat. I mean, yeah. she, I do think she raised their level, because the year before when we beat them, I think, I didn't realize, I think they were supposed to be the team to win it all that year. And we are just coming here and going to do our job, and we had a good scouting report. We worked really hard, and we put a 2-3 zone in. I'm not a zone guy and didn't play zone all year, and we put a 2-3 zone in. We end up beating them by, I want to say, 7 or 11. And then the following year, we're, we're a completely different team. We're full court, running gun. We're, that year, we're probably scoring. If we, my goal that year before was the first one to 40 wins because we're not going to give up over 40. Mm-hmm. But. How important is it, especially maybe now compared to a few years ago, to create those good relationships with other coaches? I mean, I know when I was at Hazen, you'd reach out. If we played a team, you'd say, hey, let me know if you need anything. 
just to get those scouting reports. And now we're in an age where you can see almost every team right every video every video. night. I'm just I still don't trust video because it doesn't speed and size doesn't relate until you see them in person. So those two things are still hard to you can get all the exit with the speed and size of the individuals. That's the hard part from the video. Uh, I've, I do more scouting or more scouting report swaps out of division. It's hard mm-hmm. to. I have no problem. Like uh, Carl Serrani is one of my favorite coaches. We talk all the time, but for him to give me other D four and me give him other D four, like we got Danville and Blue Mountain up here, and he's mm-hmm. got Arlington and. Leland Gray down, you know, it, it, that's kind of a hard situation. But I, I talked to Randy two or three times this year, the Hazen coach. I mean, yep. they're D3, you know, and uh, I've reached out over the years to a lot of coaches. Uh, probably the closest, he's retired now, but Russ Wilcox, we we literally, uh, we talk once a week pretty much all season long. Um, and that was huge. I mean, I think he's probably one of my closest coaching friends. But, uh, I think it's still important to have those relationships. And as I've gotten older, I'm still as competitive as ever, but it's not all, oh, you can't share this with this guy. Mm -hmm. Because, like I said, everything's on video anyway. But in the beginning, it's like, oh, you don't want anyone to know too much. And now, I mean, the game's a game. If anything, we coaches probably mess it up over coaching. But, um, no, I think the relationships are important. How has your goals changed or... How do you continue to stay motivated? Mentioned whatever seventeen years, and unfortunately haven't brought that right. championship for the girls' side yet. Does that motivate you? Does that make it harder after a year? Oh man, still haven't done it yet. Uh, no, actually, I'm, every year is a blank slate. Every year, I think we're going to figure out a way to. My thing is, I, I want them to get here. I want them to know what it's like to step on this floor. And I tell them after that, anything is really a bonus. I mean, twelve. 12 teams get to step on this floor. If we can be one of them, we've done something. So I had three girls that they finished their year here, or finished their careers, and every, all four years, their seasons on this court. And I, I said, there's a lot of kids that never get to step on this court. Yeah. And you get to finish every year here. Do I want to win one? Absolutely. Does it drive me? Not probably like it used to 15 years ago. Uh, 15 years ago, that's all. That's that was everything. Now... I mean, the goal is to get here, and once we get here, I think once you get here, it can be anybody's ball game. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say not pressure, but definitely motivated. Definitely motivated to uh, see. It. But it's more like last year. I don't think anyone would have thought we were coming to the odd, and that you know from the year before, and then to come here and play Lake Region. And I told everyone if we can hold Sequoia to under ten, we win. We should get we hold her to eight, but they beat us. You know, it's just. One of those things. My dad is sitting here with us, and you guys lost to Richford. Yes. In the championship. The freight trained. Yep. That was, I don't know, I hadn't seen a game quite like that in a long time. And afterwards, I don't know, true or false, it was said that you mentioned, we don't need to scout them, they only have two girls. Everybody said, well, we scouted them, but they had two girls we had to worry about. The fact that they could run, but most of our problem was not Richford. We had uh, probably the last three weeks of the season internal issues amongst our own team mm-hmm. that carries over 
Sure. Um, anytime we had finished the year, whether it was a playoff game, regular season game, here, everyone got on the bus and we went home. Every time, no questions asked. And I have a rule that if you want to ride with your parents, I'll only allow one at a time because no one wants to ride home on an empty bus. Yeah. After that game, this is totally it explained everything. After the game, I had two girls on the bus. The rest of them couldn't get out. They wanted to go off, but yet they all go back to the school to get their cars or personal or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just, but I tried to, you know, my failure, I guess, on that was not basketball. It was, it was trying to keep this group together. I think when you say pressure, I think there was some self-imposed pressure on those seniors because they hadn't won their sophomore yeah. year. They didn't win their junior year. This is their last shot. But also, uh, for the first time, I think there was um, competitiveness within some of the players where I want to I wanna be, you know, they're, they're teenagers. Mm-hmm. I want to be the one that's in the paper this time. I want, you know, and I, I think we got, we got split. We got split probably... Three weeks before the before we got here, and we were so splintered that they, we weren't together. And if you're not together, it doesn't matter. So we were five individuals, and they had five girls because there's no way they run run over us. Mm-hmm. We were two steps slow, but it was because we weren't focused on what we do together. We're focused on all these outside things coming yeah, in individual, play. And, and and it's funny because I had one of the players come up to me last year. And said, you were so right about everything. I said, it's easy for me. I'm, old. I'm, right. I'm on the outside looking. You're going to look back. and I. But You've already gone through the dumb yeah, BS exactly. social stuff. And life. I said, that's the, you know, that's, it's easy for me to say, but you're, it, you're living in the moment. I, right now, a 16-year-old coming in here today, 17-year-old, it's going to be the most important thing they've ever done in their life is this moment, the next game, and later. And... Uh, I said, it's not. I mean, at the moment, I see it. I mean, I was a teenager. That's all that matters, that or nothing. But if you take a step back and understand what it is, it's easy, again, for someone in their 40s to tell you this, or their 30s, but you, uh, but as they look back, and I, I said, well, at least now, you you know, you know I wasn't lying to you, right. you know? But, so that, that one hurt us. That one, uh, that one hurt me the most because it wasn't basketball-related. It was, I, I self-inflicted. Failed. I failed by not finding a way to bring them back together. You mentioned kind of just the community in Williamstown is, I mean, for obvious reasons and a lot of it on the boys' side, the Hazen, Hardwick, Williamstown are often compared. And it, as someone who's been a part of both communities, living-wise and obviously being with Hazen, I can see a lot of those similarities where it's their basketball towns and the community if something is needed, the community comes together. And I know you've done a lot with your team in terms of raising money for cancer. Or if my sister coaches five, sixth grade, there's a girl helping her for every game, going down, talking to the girls. What is it that makes you kind of want to push that? And I mean, you're friends with my cousin Sean, and this is... This will be the first podcast, along with the Uncommon Deeds podcast, where I've talked at all about my cousin Sean, who had cancer and just passed away yesterday as we record this. And soon as he was diagnosed, a little over a year ago, you were setting up a tournament and their shirts, and they have his number on it, and you're raising money. What is it that drives you to 
more so than basketball, but yourself and your girls part of the community? I've known Sean most of his life, I would say. We're probably most, we're not that five years different, but uh, what? I just think the community gives so much to all the kids on, on the basketball side of things more. Um, they're, all our games, they, they build the girls up, they build the boys up, they support them. I mean, I can, there were some times when we had to turn people away and we actually had to play some games here during the season because we couldn't get enough from the gym. And I wanted the, and I don't think teenagers in general actually, I tell them this is your glory years, it's, you're not going to know this. And 10 years ago, like I can mm-hmm. remember walking through here, 19, and I remember the feeling, they're going to remember that. So, but I want them to pay it back. And uh, anytime we can help people, and I, and I told them that this year, we raised, last year we raised 40, over $4,500 something. And it, it took a little, just takes a little pressure off Sean and Emily and their family and, and they had plenty of other fundraisers also but for them to find out that they got to go to Alaska in my mind he's here another six seven years this isn't going to be this quick mm-hmm. and I just it, it, but uh, to be able to do that and for those girls and I, I told them that this year we raised the boys jumped on board and they helped out we raised another 4000 for a Northfield resident but who's very good friends with a lot of Williamstown people, and he, he would come and support us at the odd. Uh, and, but we also have another close to 4000 that we're going to give to Gifford Oncology Department to help out. But I told the girls, so all this that you've done, I said, you, these people have had an impact on you, whether it's teaching you new sports, doing the cafeteria, raising money to the boosters, things you don't see, and then being in the stands and supporting you. What, you know, All they want you to do is be the best version of yourself on the basketball field. If we can do that back, the impact that you give back with that is life-changing. It was life-altering for Sean. It was life-altering for Lynn. And he, this is a 60, I believe he's 63-year-old man that calls me up, old-school Vermonter, and he gets choked up on the phone and voice cracks, and he said, I got tears in my And I had to go tell the girls, this is what's important. This is, and I think that lesson, if that carries them forward, that they can do these things through sports, that's their avenue. Then, because uh, it took a, a few people to help one, but then that few turned into whole town. I mean, last year that gym was full. There's yep. pink shirts. There's people wearing pink shirts that I would never see wear a pink shirt, and that, I, I was I so actually, happy. I, and I got one, and I got some for my kids, and they wouldn't fit my kids because <laughs> they were all pretty small at the time. But later that day, I texted Aaron, and I'm like, "Hey, just let you know, I bought my first Williamstown shirts." He's like, what? And then I explained it to him. He's like, right on. Oh, it was, and that, and that's going to be the goal every year is to help people. But I, I think they're they're figuring out. Like they're figuring out this year. Um, our assistant coach, Dick Ruel, said, "What well, we can do more? If you guys want to do a hoop shoot, we can do more and add to the days fees." And they, the girls' team alone, raised almost three thousand dollars through the the hoop shoot. So I was like, this. I mean, it's just. But to me, going back to the original question. The community does so much for us. I need, I need these kids to, and it took me a while to figure out it's just something. I need them to do a little something back in, re, in return, and, and they've taken it now, and they love it. Like I said, we got uh, quite a few of them officiate youth sports games. Mm-hmm. Courtney helps your sister with the fifth, sixth girls team. Um, but this, this group that's here now, they, I want to say they get it, but it's been groups before them. It's, I think it's just become... 
the standard probably the last 10 years or so. That's awesome. Definitely appreciate it. Well, not just, you know, obviously with that connection, right. but just in general, I feel like those are great lessons for kids to learn and to see. And the fact that they come back and ask to do more and it's not, oh, he's making us do this this week shows that they're great kids. Oh. And, it, you know, not just obviously you, you their parents, right. everyone Absolutely. that contributes, but doing your part. You can't ask for anything more than that. No, I mean they're they're going out and buying poster boards and putting them all around town, going to schools, ask, or going to local stores, hanging them up, asking for donations, and thinking that that's beyond the scope I had envisioned. Mm-hmm. I, I, let's put out a donation jar. Let's do this. Let's right. just get people in the gym. Now they're making you step your game. I, up. Exactly. I'm like this is. I mean, it's incredible. They uh, like I said they they took it and ran with it. Let's get into a few fun things before we wrap it up. As Doors getting ready to open yep. here for Division Three, and I'm assuming it's going to get loud. I bet it will. Give me maybe three of the best players you coached against. Okay, uh, Lake Region, Abby Laleem. I mean, phenomenal. Probably the best I've ever coached against. And then uh, right behind her, Silt Lake Region, Kylie Atwood was absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, those are probably the two that really stand out. And then there, I mean can't think of her last name. Vanessa from Twinfield. Gosh, I should, I should know it too. Where's Carl Parton when you need him? Exactly. Especially Plainfield or Twinfield. Um, no, and then uh, moving in the capital, played against Maddie Bennett. She went on to see Mike's, I believe. She was really tough for us. But I, I would have to go back to, honestly, Josler if we're going to, you know, mm-hmm. just for what she did against us here. Yep. Who are some of the coaches that you know after the game you're going to want to go back and watch and steal something from? Well, definitely Russ Wilcox, for sure. Um, back, I'll say, I'm trying to think. Tammy Reenville when she was at Danville. I mm-hmm. coached against her. Lori, she always had, Lori Shepard from Northfield at the time, always had an inbounds play that would get us. And I'm like, I, I've got to watch this until I get it figured out. Um, those three probably is good. And now, I mean, like I said, everything's on video. I try to watch as much of Uda's stuff as possible. Mm-hmm. Aaron has an inbounds play. I'm going to wait until the season's over and ask him. I know what he calls. I'm going to say, I, I need that. I love it. it. Scores on it. I think he's, I've seen it four times. He scores on it all four times. But uh, I watch a lot of Aaron, honestly. I really do. I think he's probably one of the top five coaches. And I'm going to say all of my time. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe even further. But I'm curious... As a coach, what's it like having a referee for a brother? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I tell everybody. Shannon's a referee. He doesn't do my games. No, uh, actually, I joined IABO. He got me to 10 or 12 years ago, and it's probably one of the best things I did. I'm not a member through COVID. I didn't stay in it. But uh, to see what their – go to the classes, go to all the meetings – and see what their um, vision is, what their perception is. And it helped me coach better. But uh, it's interesting, I'm not going to lie, because Shannon, we both have strong personalities, so it's kind of funny. I usually, before meeting, I get picked on by the officials about my brother or whatever. So um, he's done it. I want to say he's been doing it over 20 years. So, But I think that helped me a lot joining it. Uh, I have a better appreciation, to be honest with you. 
but my downfall is, and this is, I'm so competitive, I want them to be on their best game every game, and when I think that they're not doing what I know they can do, I probably yeah. talk to them a little too much. But it's not like, I, it, I try to tell them it's not personal, but I mean, obviously, if you get talked to one of his personal. Right. <laughs> Uh, what goes into selecting your team captains? I'm, uh, that's that's another. So I've had years where I just send two up for the meeting, and then I've had years where, uh, like a Christian Brown and Steph Shannon, They So I don't really select team cap. I mean, I'm the one that says you're a captain. But they kind of yeah. select themselves by the way that they lead. Like mm-hmm. this year I had one captain to start the season, Malia Hutchinson. Because summer ball, she was the one getting girls together. She was the one that got them on track uh, they kind of do it for themselves uh, I don't I did it when I was younger I did the let the kids pick and it was always a popularity con. Not, that's not normally yeah. the leader that's usually the, the most popular so for me I want to know that they're going to be uh, hold their teammates accountable hold themselves accountable carry themselves in a way that represents we always talk about this Williamstown, but their families and our community and our school the way we want to be represented. And if they can do that, usually it's pretty easy to pick your captain. Finally, you're headed out to dinner. You can bring four coaches with you. Who do you want to take? Love to sit down with Pat Summit. I'd love to spend two hours with her. Uh, obviously, John Wooden, I mean, the greatest basketball coach of all time. I'm a Michigan fan, so I got to have John Beeline. Uh, I got to. His one three one he ran for a while, but no one else was doing that at the time. Um, those three probably, and then honestly, if I, if I could pick Aaron, if I could sit down with Aaron Hill for a couple hours, because his sustained run, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, because it, it's it doesn't matter. He sustained this run for twenty years. We've had a lot of five six years. Proctor did it some time. You know, Williamson boys have done, but he seems to always always be either here or knocking on the door and to mm-hmm. understand how and I know how because I've officiated enough AU to see he puts his former players and coach in positions and but I'd love to sit down with him and I'd like to know how he thinks the game has changed in his time because I think he's right around the same time as I am a few years ahead of me yeah well said I can't thank you enough for coming to meet me here before the game and this was actually your idea and it yeah. turned out really cool just do it right yeah. here in the auditorium before the game I uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I appreciate everything. Again, I, I mean it. What the amount of people that listen to this podcast, the amount of people that talk about it. Um, I was actually hesitant to get on it because I'm not even sure I'm worthy to be on this. When I look at the other coaches you've had, but I uh, I appreciate it and what you're doing for the game. Um, and go back to uncommon deeds. I mean that's that's yeah. kind of to me. I was at the racetrack before I ever played a sport. So to have these two things and the memories we get to. Go back to and my son listens to every podcast. Yeah. I mean, that's to it's share one of those, this with him. And we said the same when we did the racing podcast. Was there's so many people with great stories, and one, it's great to hear it from them, but it's not necessarily always the ones that are winning every week. Exactly. And you have this great story about the community and what you're doing, and they're stories that should be heard. Well, I appreciate that. That wraps up this week's interview, and it doesn't quite wrap up this week's episode yet. Now, I'm going to do something that I don't usually do on this show, and I'm going to talk about a few things 
from this past weekend's championship. And I'm sure most of you can guess kind of where I'm going with it. I have done this in terms of calling games for 18 years. And I've never been asked about a game more that I called than the Hazen-Winooski championship game. Now, I'm going to give you a little background because I'm going to get it out of the way. I'm going to kind of do this in steps to save people the time of bringing it up later. I am a Hazen kid. I went to Hazen. I played for Aaron Hill. I coached AAU for Adam Gann's Hardwick Mustangs program. He does a great job with that. I coached JV Girls at Hazen. I assisted the varsity for Travis Hill at Hazen. I'm a Hazen guy. I've said it on this show that I consider Aaron to be a mentor to me, not only with basketball, but in life. I hold him with the utmost respect. If, you know, any of those guys, Aaron, Travis, Adam, Mike Baker, if any of those guys ever ask for anything from me, I go out of my way to try to help with whatever it may be. And I say that because I know, and it gets joked about all the time with people that I work with, and I'm fine with it, that from the outside, it's often very much perceived that I have a bias towards Hazen Union when I call games. Which, 18 years, I've done it. And I think my resume, for the most part, speaks for itself. If you go back and you listen. And I have the utmost respect for everybody that gets on a microphone and calls games here in Vermont. And I think everybody does a great job and puts in the work. That being said, I think I do it better than anybody. And you can call me arrogant for that, and I accept that. But I'm a competitive guy, and I've put in a lot of work. I feel like I have an unbelievable feel for calling basketball games. I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm a competitive guy. I think I do it better than anybody. And throughout those 18 years, and I've done it high school, college, radio, streaming, some TV, I have been blessed to have the opportunity to call a lot of great games. And I've been very fortunate and always enjoy the opportunity to call a Hazen game especially at the auditorium. And I, truthfully, I go out of my way usually to make sure I'm not coming off biased towards Hazen. I will call it 
straight down the middle to the best of my ability, whether you believe me or not. Now, the basketball game aside, and maybe we'll come back to that, the end of the game, a lot of stuff happens in a very short period of time at the end of that basketball game. How it works with the streaming for the NFHS network for championships, the final horn goes off, the game is over, we have roughly about two and a half minutes to try to sum up that game before we need to send it to the awards presentation. Two and a half minutes. So when the final horn goes off, first thing we do, we'll usually look down to start grabbing any stats or information or notes. Sometimes I'll have a pad and I'll jot notes of key moments throughout. And Lori Shepard keeps stats as we're going this weekend. She was on the call with me. And I fully get hindsight things could have been said differently. And I saw some complaints because Lori had mentioned that Tyler Rivard was talking to the other team and they need to get him out of there. That is the first thing that she saw. That we saw. Because we looked down, check the stats, you hear it, you look up. I'm looking up to see Mike Baker running over, Travis Hill running over. And at the time she looks up, Tyler is talking to the other team. And they did need to get him out of that situation. I'm just trying to let you know kind of how that goes. I mean, people are always going to have a hard time one way or the other, usually with a call. No one's ever going to be happy. The losing team always thinks you favor the other. Sometimes you can tick off the winning team. They don't think you talked about their players enough or what they did. Very rarely is everyone happy. And that's fine. I've done it a long time. Doesn't bother me at all. I am very protective, though, over the people that I work with that call games with me. I kind of see it like they're under my umbrella. They're under my protection. So I just wanted to put that out there. She looked up. He's talking and said they need to get him out of there, which they did. As she said they need to get him out of there, his teammates were removing him from that hostile situation. A lot of people, when they make comments and they mention, I went back, I watched it again, this clearly happened, why didn't they say anything? You went back, you looked again. As it works with the streaming, we do not have instant replay. We're not looking at monitors. It is live for us. So just keep that in mind sometimes when you criticize broadcasters when you're going back and watching something a second time. We don't have that privilege, unfortunately. But 
That being said, I did see a lot of stuff happen in that period, and I didn't like it. And if I'm being truthful, if it had been Winooski versus Thetford, I probably would have been more vocal about the behavior I was seeing from Winooski than I was because it was Hazen. Because I have that built-in need to go out of my way to prove that I'm not favoring Hazen, if that makes sense. But so much. And I'm thankful that I have this platform now and I'm voicing my opinion here and I'm at a point in life where I am more comfortable with saying, screw it, I'm going to put my opinion out there. And another part of it is when I am doing games for NFHS, I am representing Carl Parton and CVTSport.net as well as the NFHS network. So if I say something out of line, out of context, that gets taken the wrong way, it doesn't just affect me. It could affect Carl's ability to get those games to do for the NFHS network. It could affect Lori coming back and doing more games. So I feel a lot of responsibility to maintain a very professional environment when I'm doing those games. But this is my show. I said it way back at the beginning, and I've said it on the Uncommon Deeds podcast, is we started these because we wanted the opportunity to do shows our way, interviews our way. I'm not beholden to a radio station or anybody else. The behavior from Winooski at the end of that game was awful. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it before at the Barry Auditorium. And I've seen... I've seen a lot of games there, guys. I mean, until I had my kids. Then I'd miss some here and there. I was at every single game. And I was calling almost every single game. Every year from when I got back from college. So that would have been like the 2008-2009 season. I've seen intense rivalries. But nothing that deteriorated like that. I've now had the chance. I've gone back. I watched it again. And I watched stuff in real time that I really didn't like. But let me go back. Let me watch it. You had players going out of their way to try and taunt, to rub it in to a kid Headed back to the bench. Game was over. Tyler Rivard had hugged a teammate. They're walking back to the bench. Four players run up to him, talking, waving by in his face. 
Naturally, he turns around and says something. To be expected. I'm glad that that's all it was. Props to Tyler Rivard showing strength in restraint. It's completely uncalled for. When you, and it's funny, I asked someone about this today. And I've reached out and I've talked to a lot of people in the last 24, 48 hours about everything that happened. Hazen people, people that I respect that were there to watch Winooski, coaches from other teams who saw the game. So I've done my due diligence, once again, in my need to prove that I'm not completely biased towards Hazen. And I talked to someone today who was injured their senior year when their team went to the championship and won. And I asked him, would you feel comfortable talking trash to players on another team after winning when you had nothing to do with the game? Now, I had talked to Coach Jackson before the semifinals and finals and was very respectful He was very nice, gave me all the information that I had asked for, was complimentary of Hazen before the championship game, said nice things. And he had told me about, you know, one of his players that was out injured. And that sucks, man. To work your entire young adult life, to try and win a championship and to be hurt and not get to play, my heart breaks for you. Same with the North Country kid who didn't get to play in the semifinals. I'm glad to see he was back and played in the championship game. So I feel for you. I feel for you. But in the same token, you are not having an impact on the game at that point. Your support, support from the bench, and that is important, But when you don't play in the game, I feel like you lose your right to talk trash to the other team. When you foul out of a game in about five minutes of on-court action and you complain after every single foul you got and you're the loudest one talking crap after the game. Why? You clearly had very little to no impact. If anything, perhaps a negative impact for your team. All that, I didn't like it. You know, you're waving goodbye. You're doing the crying eyes thing, saying that Hazen is whining. Rewind it a year, man. This is part of growth that I hope that kids learn throughout sports. That's the beauty of sports. You learn how to win and you learn how to lose. A year ago, you lost in a great game. You laid on the floor. You didn't want to get your medals. And you walked out of the gym before 
the championship team got their medals. To fast forward then a year to say another team is whining when they're standing there, they're at their bench, they waited, they got their medals, they stood there, they watched you get your medals. Take a look in the mirror. Look for personal growth. All that, I didn't like it, didn't sit well with me, was uncalled for. Fans chanting to a player that he's overrated after a 1,000 points and a 1,000 rebounds. I believe one of six players ever on the boys' side to have a 1,000 points and a 1,000 rebounds. A little classless. And it takes away from the fact that Surma played an absolutely great game for Winooski. How about appreciate that your big man played a great game and did a great job? You're demeaning his defensive performance by saying that the that Rivard is overrated. Or in the simplest facts, why not just cheer for the fact that your team won? Cheer for them as opposed to cheering against the team that just lost. Take that out. Didn't care for it. Wasn't for me. The biggest problem I had was not the players. The players, these kids, remember, kids, are reflections of leadership. We talk about it on this show every week. It is a coach's job to not just teach basketball, but to teach and help them become young men, young women, the communities that they represent can have pride in. When the coaches are just as much in the fold of taunting or not doing anything to stop the taunting, you're every much as guilty, but more so because you're the adults in the room, or at least supposed to be. When you're an assistant coach who nobody knows your name, I still don't know your name, and you're clapping in the face of someone that's coached for 24 years, has won the championships, has put in the time, who are you? What example are you setting? And, you know, it's funny. I saw the assistant coach after the games were over, after all the teams were gone, downstairs the auditorium before the Division II championship. And I really wanted to just go over and be like, hey, grow up. Set an example. And I didn't do it because that isn't and wasn't the time and place to do so. Like I said, I am representing cvtsport.net, the NFHS network, and I'm very thankful that with this show, a lot more people are cognizant of who I am 
I appreciate it. And I was smart enough to know that that wasn't the time or the place, but it was hard not to. You're the adults in the room. If I'm out and about with my kids and they're misbehaving, they're rude, that is a reflection on me. And I would take that personally. And I've seen it a lot recently. The inability to want to or even try to keep kids accountable for their actions. My sister coaches fifth and sixth grade girls, and she had someone come in to work with the girls. And he figured it out pretty quick and told my sister, you know what their problem is? No one's ever told them that they haven't done something right. Everyone's afraid to tell them that they're not doing something right. It's perceived as you're not being supportive. But when you keep telling people they're doing a great job, when they're not, you're every bit as much as the problem. And as important as I think it is that we need to find a way to keep kids accountable for actions and be able to give constructive criticism, the same, if not more so, we should be holding our coaches accountable for their actions. And I've probably rambled too long and... I just want to kind of get that stuff off my chest because it sucked. It sucked watching the end to otherwise, you know, a fun game to call. Why tarnish an otherwise good game when it's completely unnecessary? Enjoy winning rather than trying to enjoy someone else's defeat. That being said, I don't want to fully focus on that because I was at the auditorium for two weeks and I saw so many great moments from coaches and players in terms of sportsmanship, players knocking each other down, helping each other back up, coaches talking to the other players after that have lost and trying to lift them up and what is one of the hardest moments they've had in their young lives. Coaches congratulating each other on the end of a great season, even if one is clearly more happy than the other because they just won the championship and one just lost the championship. When you can't even find a way to shake hands with the other team at the end of the game, what is that teaching anybody? By the way, it is okay to support a team, to support a school, to root for them and cheer for them and still be critical of poor behavior. You can have both. I feel like the best fans are the ones that hold the team accountable. Also, I mentioned it over the two weeks. I got so many great comments from people that are listening to the show and enjoying the show And it's very humbling. I appreciate it. We actually have 
No Fouls podcast shirts available now. And just from me walking around wearing our shirts, our hoodie, I sold a bunch of them just from people seeing me and saying they wanted one. Thank you guys so much. Shirts are available. You can reach out on the Facebook page. We'll get them to you. So, yeah, that that concludes this week's episode. Thank you if you stayed in and listened to everything I had to say. And I'm very hopeful that's not going to happen very often. And I don't have to do that because I love for the emphasis of the show to be on the guests of this show. You guys don't come to listen to me. I don't even love listening to me. (laughs) You come for the stories and to hear coaches' journeys. Let's try to keep it it at that. But I'm also very thankful that I have the platform to voice my opinion when I see fit. Thank you to CVTSport.net that has sponsored us the last seven episodes. Greatly appreciate Carl Parton and that group. I'm sure they'll have stuff going on as we hit spring sports. Check them out, cvtsport.net. And you can also go back on his YouTube channel, on the website, and watch old games from this season. Check it out. But that concludes... This week's episode, uh, you've been listening to the No Fouls Podcast, a production of Uncommon Media.